on this episode. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, like Miles Morales, I'm going at it solo. Nobody here with me on this journey. Wanted to share some thoughts on this fantastic movie that they debuted this past weekend. Now, the first part of this episode, I'm going to be nice. I'm just going to talk basically, generally about the film. But second half of the episode, if you care to listen that far, I'm spoiling crap. So I'll give you a warning. All that's coming up next. All right, let's do this one more time. Welcome to Matt on the Mic. I'm Matt, and I was not bitten by a radioactive spider, and I am not currently, nor have I ever been, Spider-Man. I'm also probably not particularly a quote-unquote cool kid, because I'm talking solo into a microphone about a PG movie that's designed for children, maybe, question mark. Uh, But it's cool, because we learned in this film, don't call Miles a kid. But I do like a really good movie. I like a really, really good superhero movie. And I'm here to tell you that Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is actually neither of those two things. This movie's a masterpiece. So this first part of the episode, we're going spoiler-free. So just generally, things I thought as I watched the film. I actually went with my daughter, so that was a unique experience, taking my five-year-old to a two-hour, 16-minute movie. Um, But it was kind of cool because this story is told all about Uh, sort of the relationship that these kids who are growing up from the first film have with their parents. Uh, We've got Miles and how he deals with the relationship between himself and his mother, who was a great uh, character in this film. We've got Miles and the relationship that he has with his father. Obviously, that was something that was fairly prominent in the first one. And this movie gravitates more so towards the relationship, I thought, with his mom more so than his dad, but it's still heavy, uh, sort of how he deals with his secret identity and the both of those guys. Um, this one told the story of Gwen and her dad. Uh, that was a, a pretty prominent part of this film. So we're now bringing in a second family and how this teen and the identity that she has, how that, how that goes with her parental figure. Uh, we even get, so Jake Johnson's Peter Parker from the first film. It's in the trailer that he's got a little kid in this one and Uh, So we even get a taste of what that's like from the parent being Spider-Man perspective of how a parent deals with uh, that identity, dual identity, and and having a child and what legacy you want to leave for your kid. So that was kind of cool to take my daughter and then have the parents and their kids be a central storyline to the film. Uh, The different animation styles came into play for this movie. So that was something that, obviously, the first film was fairly revolutionary into the Spider-Verse with the way that we saw characters portrayed on screen and action sequences. And it, it, I'm trying off the top of my head here to think of a movie that showed comic books in action as well as Into the Spider-Verse accomplished. And I can't think of one. But what's crazy about this film is it's it's even better. They raise the bar with what they brought to the big screen. So the, the main storyline we get is the same animation as the first one, which is obviously really, really cool. Very well done. But then we start getting this other, like I told you they mentioned, uh, or I mentioned, I told you, they brought in Gwen's world, her universe, and made that more of a central part of this plot. And she has this, like color tinted, unique, 
Um, I've seen it called like watercolor style universe. So now we're up to two different animation styles in the film. Uh, there is a, a villain that comes in very early in the film. I think it's like within the first uh, 10 to 12 minutes. And that character is in paper. So it's like a paper meshed in with all these other different animation styles. Um, we've got this sleek, futuristic world uh, that's brought in uh, through one of the new uh, Spider-Men that's introduced. Um, we've also got um, like, a, like a rounded, uh, sort of chic Mabatin. I hope I'm saying that right, which is a, a cool world. So if you're counting, that's one, two, three four, I think I counted that right, four animation styles that are present. We also get this flashy, popping, collage-based world of this new character, Hobby, who's voiced magnificently by uh, Daniel Kalua. And then there are all these other mul multitudinous uh, spider people, spider beings that come across the screen that are in all shapes, sizes, animation styles. So really, we're, we're talking like five key animation styles in this film and then you throw in some other different variations uh, I even saw this is not really a spoiler because I didn't catch it uh, apparently there's a, a the spider-man popsicle we all know the one that I'm, I'm talking about you get from the ice cream truck and uh, or I guess it's an ice cream popsicle whatever and you you get it from the ice cream truck and it's like this little droopy sad looking thing uh, in the middle of the summer and apparently that thing made an appearance in the film as well. If you can spot that, I absolutely did not. But so the, the way that you watch this movie was incredibly unique. And it made for a very neat viewing experience. The way that all these different uh, styles of watching a movie seamlessly are integrated. Uh, the integration of some really clever, witty dialogue was fun too. Um, just really impeccably timed humor, finding those bits and pieces. There is a scene that is reminiscent of in the first Into the Spider-Verse when Miles first gets his powers and he's, he's uh, entertaining the idea of jumping off a building and trying out the webs and swinging for the first time. And then he just decides, like, there's this big music hype up and it's this moment, it peaks, and then he decides... Yeah, nope, never mind. And he starts going down the flights of stairs. There's a moment that is reminiscent of that. Um, there was, I always talk about the score when I go see a movie because I think that's an important part of the film. It peaks at just the right points in this film. So much so that uh, I mentioned it earlier. I went with my five-year-old and I think this is the part where I mentioned that she went to the bathroom. I thought three times during the film. I think she said four. I don't know if maybe she counted an extra one. Fortunately, we were at a theater that had, I think, six total people in our theater at 10.30 a.m. on a Saturday morning, so we played that right. Uh, she basically got to the point where she was bored and just played with the seats and ran up and down our row a few times. So, But she was her attention was piqued at certain points due to the notes that she heard on screen um, audibly. She's pretty intuitive in that way. That she can kind of pick up when it gets kind of tense or eerie or uh, when the music changes and it gets boppy or upbeat, uh, she tunes in. So, you know, a five-year-old was picking up on those musical cues that the film introduced. The, uh, the, there was a very strong voice cast in this film. Uh, Shamik, I believe I'm saying that right, Moore is great again 
as Miles Morales. Issa Rae, I recognized her pretty quickly on um, as Jessica Drew, this new Spider-Woman that's been advertised in the trailer. Uh, we had Karen Sony, who I can instantly recognize his voice. He's one of my favorite. Oh, he's funny. Here we go, guys. That's going currently. Uh, he was Dopinder, Dopinder, in Deadpool, uh, the little cab driver, and he was tremendous in his role. Uh, I mentioned Daniel Kaluuya is in this one, and Oscar Isaac is Hobby Brown, um, and Miguel O'Hara, respectively. Miguel O'Hara is a really great new cinematic character that Oscar Isaac portrays. I thought the two of them, Kalu and Isaac, I thought were otherworldly good. There were some excellent little Easter eggs in this film. Uh, there was one that my theater, even with the six people, I, I thought there was, I guess, one group farther down to our right than another group closer to the front. The group that was closer to the front, a little bit older, and they picked up on one of the Easter eggs that was, uh, it was the inclusion of a certain somebody that they were like, oh. Um, I mentioned the little Spider-Man pop school was in there too. There were just a lot of little clever beats, kind of like the first one had. If you are a Spider-Man movie, <laughs> Spider if you are a Spider-Man fan, uh, I can tell you that this movie is going to be an absolute blast. And... If you are not a Spider-Man fan, but you like a good movie, this one's pretty good. There's a lot that does rely on the first Into the Spider-Verse. A movie which I saw, and I've come to believe Into the Spider-Verse is the best standalone superhero movie that I've ever laid eyes on. Um, that's even better than one of my favorites, Dark Knight. Just on its own, you need nothing else for context. There's no other... Uh, little inclusions of details that make it necessary to understand to be able to enjoy the movie as a, as a superhero nerd. I've always thought Into the Spider-Verse was the best, the best thing going. The fact that this one at least met the bar, if not raised it, is astounding. It's an impeccable accomplishment. Uh, the folks, the creative team behind this movie should be absolutely... Uh, lauded and pleased with what they put out there because, man, this movie is awesome. Spoiler alert! If you listen past this point, I'm going to spoil things for you. If you don't like it, stop listening. Otherwise, have at it. Here we go. If you've made it this far, you're on the other side of the spoiler alert. So here we go. We're going to do a movie rundown to get you in the know before I share some more thoughts that are definitely going to ruin things. Uh, if you haven't seen it, and if you have seen it, then great, you're on board. Here we go. In an opening sequence, we see more of Gwen Stacy's backstory. She grapples with the loss of her friend Peter Parker and her struggle to reveal her identity to her father. When her father rejects her, she joins a group of spidey people bent on capturing multiversal anomalies, the Spider Society. Back in Miles Morales' universe, he also struggles to balance life and spidey responsibilities. Miles battles a new nemesis, the Spot, who accrues power by capturing energy from multiversal colliders similar to those seen in the first film. After a multiversal event in Mubatan, a universe featuring Pavatir Pakbabar's Spider-Man protecting a Mumbai-slash-Manhattan-type city, 
Miles is taken to the headquarters of the secret society to be chastised for his efforts by the group's leader, Miguel O'Hara. Miguel informs Miles he's the first true anomaly, that Miles' father must die to ensure continuity of all universes and imprisons Miles to ensure it happens. Miles escapes and is transported to back to what he assumes is his own universe. The film ends as Miles realizes he is in a universe without a Spider-Man. His uncle Aaron is still alive. His father is deceased and his own self, Miles Morales, is a villain, the Prowler. Eh, loose time there. I think I was about a minute there. but So that is it. That is the full rundown of, uh, I mean, obviously condensed, but what we get in this film. A uh, lot going on. It moved very swiftly, though. Uh, I mean, not if you're trying to keep at bay a five-year-old playing with seats and running through the theater, but uh, for somebody who's just taken in a movie, they clicked very quickly through all those things I just rattled off in a minute uh, to the point where you catch a lot of stuff in not a ton of time. Um, you know, obviously the film's about two hours, a little over, but uh, they advance so rapidly through things. And the big kicker for this film is, this is the big spoiler, so if you haven't seen it, definitely stop now. But uh, they end this film on a cliffhanger. You, I, I mean, I'm one that kind of looks at my watch and keeps track of what time did the movie start, maybe about how much time is there left, what are we still looking at plot-wise, it's the literary teacher in me too. And that was especially the case in this film, is... My daughter sat playing with Google Photos while um, we waited for the film to end because she was so bored. I don't know how that's possible. But um, as the movie was coming to its close, I realized we weren't going to get the the ending, that succinct, satisfying, final moment that caps off this movie. I thought this was... It was reminiscent to me of watching Avengers Infinity War in theaters and half of the universe gets wiped away and the movie's just over. And, you know, there are people in the theater going, holy, because uh, you just can't believe that that's the way that this film closed. But this ending reminded me of that because we get this scene where Miles is trapped in the wrong universe. He comes across his alter ego, which probably, based on what I know about time-traveling movies, probably shouldn't come face-to-face with your own self. Uh, His uncle's alive. His father's dead. His mother has no idea who Spider-Man is because he's in a world without Spider-Man. And uh, he is trapped. And his alter self has no interest in letting him return home, which Miles knows he needs to do because his father is, is supposed to die for the continuity of all... Uh, spider universes so it's a doozy of an ending Um, and they they let you know that Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse is coming next year I believe that's March which made me remember the fact that this was originally supposed to be one giant movie and the the creators decided let's split it up let's do two Um, and so we could have maybe foreseen something like this coming but maybe nothing this stark um My MVP of the film actually had nothing to do with the making of this movie. It's a guy who's unfortunately passed away a few years back, but my MVP of this film is, I feel like I need a drum roll sound effect here, Um, I guess co-MVPs, Stan Lee and and Steve Ditko, the guys who created Spider-Man, because what this movie really does is it captures the... Marvel, for lack of a better term, no pun intended, 
it captures the marvel, the intrigue, the uh, power of and lovable ease of this character, Spider-Man. We get so many different versions of Spider-Man in this movie. We get the Miguel O'Hara Earth 2099 Spider-Man. We get Spider-Woman on a bike, and she's pregnant, no less. We get Gwen Stacy's Spider, Spider-Man, <clears throat> Spider-Woman. Um, we get a rock star, non-conformist, British Spider-Man. We get a dinosaur Spider-Man, which Grace really ate up in the movie theater. That's my daughter. Uh, we get, um, uh, what was it, like a horse Spider-Man? We get some guy riding a horse on a Spider-Man, and the, the, he and the horse are wearing Spidey masks. Uh, there's just such a plethora of neat little inclusions of Spider-Man. I think the MVP has got to be those guys that made this character for us all to enjoy from the beginning. They just I don't think they could have envisioned that this is what it became. But I've, I've used this adjective a few times. This movie's a masterpiece. And the, the way that all these Spider-People are interwoven is uh, uh, partly attributable to what makes it a masterpiece. <clears throat> i got to apologize. i got a little cold. Um, I thought that Tom Holland's Spider-Man would forever have the best original story trilogy series. But this Miles Moore run is, is now in the running. Uh, I actually saw something recently that said, I was talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. It was like, Guardians of the Galaxy, soak up next 10 months, best Marvel trilogy going. Which maybe isn't fair to... Spider-Man, Tom Holland, but whatever. Uh, but yeah, this this trilogy has been astounding, outstanding. All the adjectives. The uh, it was an entirely captivating storyline with this Miles Morales trying to grapple with the age-old Spider-Man question of Do I reveal my secret identity to the people I love? Do I not reveal it to them to protect them? Uh, and he comes to a head big time with with that decision in this movie. This dad assuming the role of captain and, uh, and and Gwen's in his corner telling him, like, hey, man, you can, whatever you do, because she knows how thoroughly it destroyed her life. Her dad turned on her. He wanted to arrest her. And uh, she's telling him, do not do this. Do not tell them who you are. It's, it will ruin everything, which, again, is that question that we've seen before with Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. Does he tell Mary Jane? Does... Um, an amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield. Does he let the people he cares for, does he let them know? And so it's a trope that has been done before, but it's it's one that was done well and effectively in this film. I thought the showing of Gwen's side of things in the beginning of the movie where you get like this, I don't know, 10-minute, 8 to 10-minute uh, sideline story of Gwen being in a rock band and uh, her life and how she's sad that she's not around Miles anymore and her decision to, like, she's fighting crime and fights the vulture and then she decides to tell her dad and he thinks that she, Spider-Woman, killed Peter Parker so he turns on her and he pulls his gun on her and says, you're under arrest and she can't believe that it's come to this point. I thought that was a really neat way to introduce this movie and to... Uh, to give us sort of some connecting pieces behind what Gwen's been up to, more of her backstory before we bring in Miles again. Um, 
Miguel O'Hara was an understandable antagonist. I, I put that phrase in here. Understandable antagonist to Miles. You, you get why he's doing what he's doing, trying to keep this greater Spider-Verse connected and at bay. Gave him some nice backstory with, you know, he tried to go to a universe where his Miguel O'Hara character had died and, and that didn't go well. But I thought the interesting piece here is I feel like sometimes in a superhero movie you can get caught up in, in the antagonist, the villain, becomes somebody that you can root for at, at times. I, ever, I never actually found myself rooting for Miguel. I thought he was kind of a jerk for a lot of the film. And sorry, Oscar Isaac, good character, just not leaping miles in terms of who you're, whose corner you're in. Uh, this new character, so Spot, as a villain, was a weird choice. Um, he seemed just entirely bogus for the first, I don't know, 20% of the time he was on screen. Um, just like stupid almost. Like this is dumb. I wondered why are we coming back to this character like this. this I, it's just dumb character. So again, the master class of this movie to turn this goofy dope of a character and into an entirely formidable super powerful um somewhat of a haunting character that's terribly imposing was again just super skilled in terms of the creators of this film uh and obviously spot is not gone we're getting that character again in the next film because he has not been disposed of in this one uh he's Way powerful now, more so than at the beginning of this film. And uh, be interesting to see. we got to wait a while, but interesting to see what they do with this character and how he tries to wreak havoc on um, Miles, who he believes to be the creator of his unfortunate appearance and situation with not having a face and not having skin anymore and being this uh, really amorphous character that once he figures it out, does have some power. I thought the uh, scene where Miles electrically sparked his way out of Miguel's imprisonment was the best scene. Uh, that's the one where he says, you know, I told you stop calling me a kid. And he zaps his way out with some help from Hobby, who disappears. He's, he's served his role. He's helped a man. Uh, not a kid. He's helped a man kind of buck against capital the man quote unquote um, with helping Miles get away from Miguel um, and that scene was pretty good it was sort of a culmination of a couple other points within the film that Miles was able to get out there um, let's see what else I got in my notes here um, I thought the the interconnectedness of the Spider-Verse and how all these spider people need their loved ones to die in these quote-unquote canon events to ensure the integrity of all universes. We saw scenes from basically every Spider-Man movie that has come uh, preceding this one. Um, I think we even saw some some animated TV show included in some of those those bits. Um, we see poor Uncle Ben just on the floor several times in this movie. But the poignancy of that plot point it was it was kind of stark because it's something that 
Peter Parker, uh, Jack, Jake Johnson's Peter Parker says, like, I wouldn't be the person I am today if that hadn't happened. This idea that this, golly, this, here I am, this PG movie just going off on the depth to it. But the idea that we as humans would not be the people that we are if not for these events that morphed us, that um, shaped us in certain ways. And then this movie takes to the next level and says that uh, not only would like this one universe, uh, just for, for, take for example, uh, uh, Tobey Maguire, like losing Aunt May, if that one thing hadn't happened, that all these other different universes would be in some way affected was just so big brain it was such a a novel way of thinking about how to approach not only this movie but the idea of spider-man as a character and uh i guess superhero universes and and marvel universes i don't know i just thought that the poignancy of of that idea was Tremendous, and the interconnectivity of it all was was stark. It was it was remarkable. Um, I am a fan of kind of the poetry of how something starts at the end. We tie back to that start. At the end, we're bringing it back to the beginning, and uh, I feel like that's evident in my writing. So I, I loved that this movie ended as it started. We didn't have that put a cap on it, finite ending that people you know usually long for in a movie. But in the beginning of the movie, Gwen is slamming on a guitar. She's getting out some emotions. She's pissed because she doesn't like the band that she's in. She misses Miles. She misses all these people she connected with in the first film. And uh, that comes across very clearly. And at the end, she's forming her own band with old friends back in the fray. And we hear the guitar again, and she's talking about, like, I, I didn't like doing it that way. I'm going to do it my own way, uh, which is something that Miles says, I think, in the first one. Um, man, it's, it's very impressive. The, the uh, writing ability, the clear vision that the creators behind this uh, ongoing trilogy have. Um, I guess a couple final thoughts here. I called Miles being the Prowler just before it was unveiled, so a little humble brag for myself that uh, when Uncle Aaron's playing with the tools and Miles is swinging on the punching bag and Uncle Aaron's got the Prowler hand, I thought there's one character we haven't seen yet and Uncle Aaron doesn't seem very uh, friendly with this Miles. We've already heard like, what would you do to your braids? I didn't put that piece together. but uh, And then Uncle Aaron says, I was thinking we might see Kingpin. You know, oh, crap, he's back. i got to deal with him again. But the fact that it was in Uncle Aaron's house with that beanbag, um, he seemed pretty tight with Miles in this universe. And so when Uncle Aaron says, I'm not the Prowler, he is. Uh, they didn't have to take off the mask for me to know that was Miles uh, under the mask of the Prowler. And he's got the braids, and he looks... Uh, I, I don't know, man. He, he, his facial expression conveyed that of somebody who's. I'm not gonna go so far as to say evil, but uh, not in tune with good. I'll go that way. 
It was all the facial expression. Um, the whole way they revealed Miles was in the wrong universe was, I've used this word a lot, masterful. The way that they revealed that Miles went to the wrong universe and Gwen figures it out by going to his house and having that spider sense of crap. He's not here. He's not. He should be here. And uh, that Miles puts it together that, oh, that spider was from the wrong universe. I got sent to that spider's universe. I'm in the wrong one. Next level twist at the end. It's called situational irony, boys and girls. I teach that to my students. And this film is seven and a half stars out of five, um, which I usually hop on this mic and I get pretty in the moment and pretty praise uh, praise filled for some of these films. But guys, I'm not alone. Check the IMDb scores. Check the... Um, I don't know if we have international box office at this point, but domestic box office, it's destroying. Uh, people are going to see this film, and people are enjoying it. This film is very, very high quality. Um, I am excited to watch the next one, and I'll be there opening night. I'm not taking the five-year-old. But uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, well done, guys. Fantastic, beautiful movie.